Welcome to Global Questions by YDS, the podcast breaking down global politics for young people. I'm your host, Jen Marcocci. You're listening to Season 3, Episode 6 of our in-depth series on the intersection of faith and politics. Islam will continue to play a major role in Indonesian politics. It's not going anywhere. It's going to be there and even it's going to be even stronger, I think. Today, I'm joined with Dr. Rachel Ronaldo and Dr. Dina Afrianti to discuss Islam, gender and democracy in Indonesia. So today, I'm joined with Dr. Rachel Ronaldo. Rachel has a PhD from the University of Colorado and is a cultural sociologist interested in gender, the developing world and Muslim societies in Southeast Asia. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for inviting me. For those with little or no background knowledge in Indonesian politics, how would you briefly summarize the political history post-independence? So Indonesia um, has had a somewhat tumultuous and and I think really fascinating history post-independence. It was um, a colony of the Netherlands. Um, and then achieved independence after the the Second World War. Um, And so its first post-independence leader was Sukarno, um, who was a really important figure on the international stage at a time when many former colonies were gaining their independence and were asserting themselves in international politics. And so Sukarno was a very charismatic leader um, who sort of had a vision for for developing Indonesia into a country in its own right and a country with perhaps a a global voice. Um, So Indonesia had, you know, certainly spent much of the 1950s and 1960s, um, you know, slowly, gradually developing its economy and, and building its infrastructure. Um, It hit a lot of political turbulence in the 1960s, and folks may have heard about the mass killings of communists that happened in the mid-1960s. While it had been slowly democratizing through the 1950s, the the 1960s, it, it really sort of hit a speed bump and the mass killings ended in uh, Sukarno being deposed and a new leader, Suharto, taking power in 1967 and Indonesia transitioning to um, really a a military dictatorship for for a long period of time. Um, This changed again um, more recently in 1998. Through the 1990s, there were protests um, starting to build um, and, and certainly, um, you know, mass movements that started calling for democratic reforms. And so these finally culminated in a movement known as Reformasi in 1998. Um, and Suharto finally stepped down at that time and the country entered a democratic transition and, and now is an electoral democracy. Thanks for that brief history. I know that was a bit of a loaded question. <laughs> So from then, what was kind of the relationship between Indonesian Islam and the struggle for democracy? Sure. So Islam has always played an important role in in Indonesia society. It is um, a Muslim majority country. About um, close to 90% of the population is Muslim. 
Um, so, you know, it has long been an important factor in everyday life and, and in politics as well. Um, certainly in the post-independence period, um, there were absolutely Islamic political parties and Islamic movements, but overall the government under Sukarno was fairly secular, um, very much in the mold of the kind of secular nationalist um, governments that um, were evident in many post-colonial societies. This was true for Suharto, at least um, for much of the time that he was in power from 1967 onward. But there were changes happening, I think, at a level that, that many were not necessarily all that aware of. Um, globally, what we call the Islamic uh, revival was happening, starting in the 1970s, really picking up strength with the Iranian revolution. And Islam started to become much more of a, a political force in many Muslim-majority countries. And so Indonesia was no exception to that. But, you know, certainly not having a lot of freedom of political expression made things somewhat more co complicated in Indonesia. So through the 1980s, what starts happening is that, um, you know, there is this kind of grassroots religious revival happening where many people who had identified as Muslim before started seeing Islam as more central to their identities, and in some cases, to their politics. Um, some of these folks had the chance to study in um, places like Egypt or Saudi Arabia um, and studied in Islamic universities, um, and so brought back some ideas from you know, organizations that they saw in the Middle East, like the Muslim Brotherhood. So there was, also, there was a lot going on, I think, in the 80s and, and early 90s, a lot of ferment going on with religion and politics, but that wasn't necessarily all that openly expressed um, because of the political climate. However, I think this is what really helped to build into um, the Reformasi movement in the 1990s. Um, certainly, there were many secular activists also involved in that, but there were many um, young people, for instance, from Islamic organizations, from Islamic student organizations, um, from a, with a huge variety of political viewpoints. And I think that's what sometimes doesn't get understood as we talk a lot about political Islam. But sort of politically active Islam in, in Indonesia has taken many forms from having very sort of liberal progressive strains to much more conservative strains as well. Um, but the Reformasi movement really brought a lot of different kinds of people together. It was sort of a rare, I think, moment of um, unity among people who in many ways, I think, later discovered their, their differences. So you're saying that during that era, everyone was brought together, even though they had different ideologies. So do you think that means that over time, the Indonesian Islam doctrine has changed a bit since the nation's independence? I think overall, Indonesia has had kind of distinctive strains of Islam. Um, I think that's true in many parts of the world, right? It's, it's sort of a myth that there is one 
Islam, right? That, that we see really important differences in the way people understand and, and practice Islam in different parts of the world. And so Indonesia has certainly, I think, had its own kind of distinctive stamp on Islam. And even within Indonesia, we see important differences between, you know, Muslims in Aceh in northern Sumatra versus on Java, right? And, but, you know, overall, I think Indonesian Islam has tended to have um, a stronger focus on interpretation, um, less of a kind of literalist slant than we would see in, in some other parts of the world. So, you know, and I think there's been a lot of willingness in Indonesia to make sure that Islam fits within its surroundings, right? So there's been a, a kind of Indonesianization of Islam. Yeah, super interesting. So kind of often we look at history through the eyes of men. How do Indonesian women shape both their nation and Indonesian Islam, like post-independence? Sure, there are certainly women activists and, and women did play a role in the independence movement. Um, in the 1950s, there were starting to be larger numbers of women in government, for example, there were some women cabinet ministers. But like many other countries, that was somewhat limited, right? The voice that women had. I mean, it, it simply has to do a lot with the fact that there were many fewer educated women than there were educated men, right? There weren't necessarily large numbers of women able um, to fill leadership positions, right? They hadn't been sort of trained and, and prepared for that. And it takes a fair amount of time to develop that. Um, certainly there were, you know, as in other parts of the world, there were sometimes attitudes about, you know, women's proper place should be in the home, um, or if they're working, you know, they don't need to be in leadership positions. And, and I think that's something that many Indonesian women activists are still working to overcome. But certainly there has been, you know, a trend, I think, increasing over time, starting from independence and on, you know, since then of, of having um, more women involved in politics in the business world. And certainly shortly after independence, we see the formation of some women's organizations. Um, advocating for various kinds of women's rights, whether it's sort of getting more women into the educational system, women's reproductive rights. There was a big push to reform the family and marriage laws in Indonesia and make them um, certainly more egalitarian and more um, empowering for women. Um, so we see all that kind, many of those kinds of activism starting and, and really taking off in the 1950s. Unfortunately, that came to a stop for the most part with the Suharto regime, um, because that regime suppressed most political activism, most independent political activism. So there were still some ways for women to be kind of politically active, but they were usually within organizations that were state-sponsored and, and state-created and had a very limited agenda. Things began to loosen up a little bit in the late 1980s and, and early 1990s. And so that's when we really see the formation of many of the first openly women's rights advocating organizations. Those activists then, 
um, from the late 80s and early 90s then go, went on to play a very important role in the democracy movement. And I think we can really say that in many ways, although the, that movement brought so many different kinds of activists together, overall, I think women were really the backbone of it. Um, because they were in that movement, sometimes as part of women's organizations, or as part of other kinds of organizations, student groups, for example, environmental groups, labor unions. Um, so they really played a, a crucial role in advocating this vision of a more democratic Indonesia and then helping that bring that about through consciousness raising and then through taking the risk to mobilize and be out on the streets and, and start to demand democratic reforms. Yeah. And then since then, certainly, um, you know, with the country's democratization, of course, that makes it much more possible for people to be able to organize openly for change. Um, and so, you know, certainly the period of the late 90s and early 2000s was a very fertile period where there were lots of new organizations being established um, and a lot of kind of social and, and cultural ferment. And, you know, women activists were very much an important part of that. And there were certainly some very important victories. Um, women activists did succeed in passing a, a crucial piece of legislation that criminalized domestic violence, for example. And that, I think, is a, is a real success. Um, and they've been a force behind some of the other important pieces of, of progressive legislation that have passed, um, such as ratifying the UN Migrant Workers Convention and more protections for migrant workers and domestic workers, um, things like the uh, disability rights legislation and, and things like this. Um, but it certainly, particularly in the last 10 years, it has become a much more difficult environment, I think, for women's rights activists and feminists of various kinds. Um, and we've seen, you know, it, it has been much harder for them to get traction with legislation that they've advocated. But certainly I would say that there is, continues to be a very dynamic women's movement in Indonesia. And they continue to really seek to have a voice in Indonesian politics. What extent do you think Indonesian women are at odds with conservative interpretations of Islam? Like, are Indonesian women more likely to support secularist agendas than their male counterparts even? Well, one thing I think is important to consider when you think about a question like that is that secular is not the same as progressive necessarily, mm -hmm. right? And, and we see examples of secularist governments, for example, uh, you know, the Soviet Union, um, now Russia, right? I mean, these could be considered secularist governments, I think, but, um, you know, progressive socially, no. Um, and so I, you know, I, so I think it's important to, you know, to recognize that, um, you know, liberal versus conservative and secular religious, right, that these are these binary distinctions. Um, and that they don't necessarily map on to each other, right? Secular is not always liberal, religious is not always conservative. So one of the things that has always really fascinated me is, as I've done my research in Indonesia is that 
there is a real diversity of interpretations and practices of Islam in Indonesia. And Indonesians themselves recognize this, and it's for many, I think, a source of pride. So we see women on all parts of this spectrum, right? We see plenty of Indonesian women who accept quite conservative interpretations of Islam. There is also um, certainly a lot of con contestation of conservative interpretations of Islam from women activists, and particularly from religious women activists, right? And so I think that's what's really fascinating is that they are not necessarily secularists who are opposing conservative interpretations of Islam, but activists who are themselves coming from Muslim backgrounds who um, are very much steeped in Islamic theology and Islamic jurisprudence and then are able to use that training and background to contest these more conservative interpretations and to argue that Islam is compatible with women's rights, with human rights, with democracy. If you're listening to this right now, we would love your feedback. Whether it's something you enjoy about Global Questions, a tip for how we can improve, or even a topic that you think we should focus on, please let us know head to the description of today's episode and click on the feedback link there. Oh, and we're also recruiting. So check out our Facebook page, search for Young Diplomat Society, and you'll find all of the relevant details there. Dina has just entered the wedding room. No problem. <laughs> so I'm just going to admit her. Hi, Dina, can you hear us? Hi. Hi, Rachel. How are you? <laughs> Hi, Dina. <laughs> nice to meet you virtually. <laughs> yes. I'm just going to get straight into it. Have Indonesian Islamic leaders sought to kind of undermine secularism and or democracy? Or have they sought to kind of work it within the political framework? Yeah, very interesting uh, and, and a very uh, significant question to be asked at this time. Because I think when you mention about Islamic leaders, I think we then should remember that uh, Indonesia has uh, a number of Muslim-based organizations and they're, they're grassroots, they're very influential, and they also play a very significant roles in Indonesian politics. So uh, we can talk about two of the largest among them, which is the Nahdlatul Ulama and also the Muhammadiyah. And I think we can say that, you know, at least leaders from both of these organizations are still committed to democracy and pluralism. Yeah, I mean, to, just to add to that, um, I think it's hard to generalize about Islamic leaders in Indonesia because they're, they are politically all over the map, right? And I've met Islamic leaders who are some of the most progressive people I've ever met, right? And, and who support human rights of all kinds, who are open to ideas like LGBTQ rights and things like this. Now, you can find that in Indonesia, but you can also find the opposite, right? And the people that are extremely conservative and are not fans of democracy who think Indonesia should be an Islamic state. So we have, in Indonesia, you have this entire spectrum among Islamic leaders. 
Um, similarly with gender, there are some who are very open to, you know, who consider themselves feminists, right, even if they're men. Um, while others think that, you know, women should stay in the home and have babies. <laughs> um, and so and, um, you find everything among Islamic leaders. Uh, I agree with, with Dina that for the major Islamic organizations in Indonesia, that there remains a commitment to democracy and pluralism. Um, and that's really important, I think. Um, but certainly on the fringes, right, that we have seen, especially in the past 10 or 15 years, the emergence of Islamic leaders who, you know, are, are not as committed to democracy or who, you know, maybe say they're committed to democracy, but when you talk to them about, you know, what democracy means to them, it seems to mean something very different. And um, it seems to mean, you know, a Muslim-dominated democracy where minorities would have sort of few rights and that, that tends to go along also with women and sexual minorities not having full rights. You know, I still think they're in the minority, but they often have a particularly loud voice in politics. Looking at the current landscape, can you guys describe kind of what's going on at the moment and what your optimist what makes you optimistic and what makes you a bit pessimistic as well? For me personally, the optimism is, is really because I still believe that the role of Muslims organizations, like I said before, is still very dominant. And, and, and because they are grassroots, they have leaders who can connect with, with the community. But of course, even within these organizations, there are fringes who value more radical understanding and conservative understanding of Islam. Unfortunately, uh, this kind of thought have also gaining more support and gaining influence. Talking about pessimisms, I think, I think also it has something to do with how social media uh, has been used as a major platform by the conservative groups. If you were to make a snap projection at the moment, do you think Islam is likely to gain or lose influence over Indonesian society in the coming decade? I don't think Islam is going anywhere, just like I don't think religions generally are, are disappearing. But like Dina, I think I'm optimistic about some of the currents I see in Indonesian Islam. I do think that there have been some really exciting and important developments like the Congress of Women Ulama, and this is an effort to bring together feminist Muslim leaders um, who are women and get them talking about theological issues and about Islamic law. Um, so that is really exciting to me, and I expect to see those efforts expand. I think um, certainly there are also, I've been studying marriage and divorce, and I think there are a lot, there's a lot of uh, women's rights activists who have been slowly pushing for changes in those laws that um, would make them more egalitarian. And I think they've been able to, to actually have some, some traction on those issues. And so I think that's really important, and I suspect that will continue as well. But certainly, you know, I, there are some very concerning trends, right? I mean, we see a lot of surveys 
showing uh, increase in intolerance for religious and ethnic minorities, um, for sexual minorities, right? And, you know, I think that's the number one thing that worries me. You know, I, I think that Indonesia, I think, is still at this kind of transitional moment, right? Where there's an election coming up in 2024. And I think that, you know, the moderates are likely to continue prevailing. Um, I, I tend to be optimistic in that sense about Indonesia that, you know, when it comes down to it, that most people or the majority of people recognize, you know, that it's worthwhile living in a democracy, having freedom of expression and having the rights of minorities protected. There is certainly, I think, reason for you know Indonesian activists to to be concerned and to try to make sure that 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 election plays out in a fair way that moderates you know have that chance to assert themselves and you know I do worry about a uh, a Trumpian sort of candidate yeah so with the leader of the Indonesian Islamic Defenders Front I feel like that would be kind of a public figure that almost would worry you a bit in terms of moving towards that more conservative political framework because he's even being labelled as the most formidable foe of the president. Yeah, I think the, the, the presence and the emergence of these radical groups and especially like the organisation you mentioned, FBI and its leaders, uh, is actually created a momentum for the moderate and the mainstream Muslims organisations and also mainstream Muslim leaders. Because, uh, because the idea uh, is that these radical groups, something that is not Indonesia, they are bringing more sort of like Middle Eastern, the expressions that is being introduced uh, in the recent decades is that it's not the expressions of Indonesian Islams. And so I think this has, it, this is connected to your, earlier questions whether then Islam will continue to play a major role in Indonesian politics like Rachel said I agree it's not going anywhere it's going to be there and even it's going to be even stronger I think because of you know because now the transnational Islam and also you know the influence from uh, everywhere is coming into and then also influence the way Indonesian practices their religiosity and, and this is, again, can be seen from the issue of gender equality. Women's activists uh, or women who are uh, fighting for equality and more respect from, from the community, from the society, and also from the government in terms of how the government creating policy. Women have to challenge that by working within the Islamic framework because, because those policies are created increasingly by using religion to justify their policy action. So we've seen a number of uh, Muslim, young, young, young Muslim women's groups, for example, appeared, emerge on the social media, taking that platform, trying to capture that public space. And, and, and in, in working around that, they, they, they not only use the Islamic platform, Islamic framework to fight for justice, but also 
contesting the ideas coming from the West. And so, you know, so it's, it's a very dynamic uh, process. And I, I think that that's what is what makes it really interesting. And I think this is the, the, the good thing about having a democracy uh, uh, in Indonesia, because it allows a different views uh, coming from the West, you know, Islam and, you know, all different ideologies. And then, you know, they have uh, an open discussion about this uh, in, in public space. Uh, I think Indonesians are learning how to hold that democratic values. I think that's a good sign. Yeah, I mean, with someone like Rizik Shahab, um, I don't worry that he would ever become the leader of Indonesia, you know, or that FPI would become a, a major political party. I think they are too extreme for that. And I, I, I do think most Indonesians are, are kind of put off um, by their extremism, by their dogmatism. But I do worry that, you know, they can mobilize a certain amount of people, often kind of disaffected young people in particular. And, you know, that gives them a, a certain power, right? And they have, I think, a, a sort of cool factor in certain milieus. And so I, I certainly worry that they will be able to sort of set the agenda in particular ways because certain politicians from, you know, the major political parties feel the need to kowtow to them to get the votes from their base. Um, and that's a dynamic that, you know, has been evident in Indonesia in recent years is that more moderate politicians feel the need to sort of pacify or even, you know, depend on the support of some of these more extreme organizations. Um, and particularly, I think you often see this not so much at the national level, but at the local level. And that often has resulted in things like, you know, laws being passed in particular areas, preventing women from being out at night without, um, you know, somebody accompanying them, right? And, and things like that. So they, they often, you know, can have some real effects that are, that are very problematic. So I, you know, I think I, I worry about that dynamic a lot, but I think Dina is right that we're seeing I think particularly among progressive Muslim activists, you know, a, a certainly a stronger feeling of needing to, um, you know, contest the things that are happening to assert a voice. I think becoming more fluent with social media um, and trying to sort of do do battle, I think, with, with the conservatives in a way that they hadn't really before. Um, I do, you know, I think one of the things we've learned all over the world, not just in Indonesia, and in the past few decades is that while democracy is really important for kind of human rights and women's rights and progressive um, activism generally, right, that, that it can be um, kind of captured um, by people whose visions are actually not so democratic, right? And some of them become, I think, very, um, strategic in how they use democracy to implement illiberal agendas. Um, and so I hope that, um, you know, the, the progressives in Indonesia will be able to perhaps, you know, recapture some of that energy and, and you know, 
really be able to, to assert their democratic and pluralist vision in the future. Thank you both so much for your time. Such an interesting conversation, which I think isn't spoken about enough in Western media, mostly. So yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, great talking to you both. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this in-depth episode. Make sure to check out YDS on social media, where you'll find articles and info about upcoming events. We'll see you next week.